Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by America's Card Room, where this month we are having the Winter Online Super Series featuring $24 million in guaranteed prize pools. Guys, that is absolutely ridiculous that an online series features $24 million in guarantees. Now through December 20th, we have two $2 million guaranteed events, $3 million guaranteed events, and Starting this month for the first time ever on ACR, several events in five-card PLO, both high-low and high-only. Five-card PLO, there are 148 events in total, so get over to ACR and play online poker for real money in these United States and elsewhere. There's a link in the description to this podcast. And right now, you can get a 100% first-time deposit bonus up to $2,000 just by using the promo code TPE. I'm Clayton Fletcher here in New York City, but by the time you are listening to this, I will be back in fabulous Las Vegas, where I belong, (laughs) playing in the big WPT championship, a $10,000 buy-in with a $15 million guarantee. So please wish me luck with that and all of the other side events that are going to be happening by the time you are hearing this. So yeah, so far things look like they're going great out there in Vegas. The WPT Championship Series started off with some meetup games and some other really fun events, including a $600 buy-in with a $500,000 guarantee. So that's pretty good for $600. So yeah, I'm looking forward to joining the action. Everything I've seen on Twitter and elsewhere makes it look like this is a really big, very fun uh, Vegas poker festival. First time ever at the win, so congrats to all my friends at the Win Las Vegas Poker Room, where, as I've said so many times on this podcast, they do a first-class job. I give them an A-plus in every aspect of delivering excellent poker to Sin City. All right, so today we are going to continue our review of the Venom PKO as played on the aforementioned America's Card Room. But before we do, I want to address this quote-unquote controversy about this popular influencer and regular on the Hustler Casino Live program uh, by the name of Sashimi, apparently wearing a bodysuit that exposed these gigantic fake breasts Now, full disclosure, I don't often watch the Hustler Casino Live program. This is the same program on which we've had all of these uh, controversial moments with 
uh, Robbie and Garrett and all the cheating. And we've got video of a guy who works there taking chips off the table and on and on. Like the whole thing seems a little bit out of bounds in so many different areas. And one of their gimmicks is something called Max Payne Mondays, in which the players are actually encouraged to uh, slow roll each other and do other things that uh, just show character. Now, I'll give this show a lot of credit because poker on TV is generally pretty boring, but Max Payne Monday is never boring with or without the uh, fake naked boobs <laughs> that may or may not have been peeking through somebody's uh, bodysuit. So yeah, it's just another gimmick to try to get eyeballs on the show. People are sharing this clip of her playing and the commentator saying like something like, I can't even look at the screen right now and everything. So Sashimi obviously has a good sense of humor, but some people are offended. Uh, look, it... You can be offended if you want. Like, let me say that first. It's okay with me if you want to express your disappointment or your disgust at this type of publicity stunt, these antics. Like, if you're not into it, you're not into it. And if you feel like this is cheapening the game of poker, uh, why are we doing something like this? Uh, it promotes misogyny. All of that, I think, is a totally valid take on this whole controversy. Uh, but for me, I think when it comes to the culture in L.A., which, remember, is where this show is, uh, is made and filmed, in that place, there is a pervasive culture of fame is the number one most important commodity that we have. So... It's almost like there's nothing that you can do with, that would be considered going too far if it results in you getting more followers on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or whatever the case may be. So I understand why some would consider this uh, crass or offensive or not funny or inappropriate. I mean, look, you're entitled to your opinion. My personal takeaway from it was that it is very immature, um, extremely silly. I don't really think that a fake nipple is the same as a joke. So I didn't particularly find it funny or amusing. And that I'm generally in favor of anything that attracts attention to the game. Although I don't necessarily think it's best for all of us when the women in our game decide to market themselves in an overtly sexual way, I do see that it is valuable for those individuals to do so because that may lead to more attention, sponsorship, notoriety for them personally, but maybe it's not what's best for the game. In terms of poker being taken more seriously as a sport, or a mind sport, or anything other than a cesspool of degeneracy. <laughs> so maybe this isn't really the best way to get attention, but obviously it is working. There are tons and tons of retweets happening around this publicity stunt. Uh, so I guess my where I land is that I'm, I don't think it's funny, and I am not offended by it either. And I definitely think it is nowhere near as big a deal 
as a person or a team of persons cheating someone else out of hundreds of thousands of dollars, which seems to be something about which no one, and I mean no one, is talking anymore. Okay, that's quite enough about sashimi. Let's move on to uh, some actual poker discussion, shall we? So we are picking up where we left off. This is the uh, October 27th flight of the $2,650 Venom PKO. It is a long-form, several-day, major online tournament, uh, high-stakes, $5 million guarantee, over a million for first place. So a very, very big tournament, obviously, and one that I look forward to each and every time they run it on ACR. Hero is doing pretty well. The average stack is just under 1 million chips, and Clayton Comic sitting on a stack of 1.7 million. So we are about 70% above the average stack at this point, which is towards the end of day one. So there are several very strong opponents at the table. So we need to be mindful of our position at the table. Certainly the player on our left is a very strong, very aggressive opponent. And the player on our right is actually one of the best players on ACR, according to Sharkscope. So his average buy-in is in the uh, mid $100 range, which means that he's probably playing all the big events on the site. He's got over 10,000 tournaments listed, and that's a big number. That's uh, you know probably a professional player just from that. But then if you really look and you see that he's got an 11% ROI over that large of a sample, we know that this guy is one of the best players on the site. So uh, he's an absolute world beater. The only good news is that he is a short stack currently with just 125000 at a time when the blinds are 5500 and 11,000 with an ante. So this player is the short stack at the table with just 11 big blinds. Uh, the, the big blind in this, in this hand is uh, the big stack at our table with over 3 million in chips. And he's the very aggressive, very tough player that I mentioned earlier. He leans on the a little bit too loose side, uh, but he definitely makes up for it with his post-flop skill. So we are sandwiched between these two guys and the action at an eight-handed table, the action folds to the hijack, who's a pretty average, loose, aggressive reg on the site, a player that I'm pretty familiar with. And he opens for the minimum from the hijack position. And uh, then the cutoff folds and the player on the button, the uh, world beater professional that I described shoves for all of his remaining 11 blinds and he's got a bounty at this point of almost three thousand dollars it's 29.25 so that is a very large bounty he has been busting a lot of players prior to this he recently lost a big pot that put him down to 11 big blinds 
So what to do with King Six offsuit? I know many of you, your jaws just dropped. Like, what are you talking about, Clayton? King Six is a garbage hand, and I don't care if you have over 100 big blinds in your stack or not. It is not worth risking 11 bigs trying to bust this player who could very well have us dominated, who could have pocket kings, pocket aces. He could have all these hands against which king six is doing quite poorly, hot and cold. And now to me, this is the biggest difference between playing in a PKO and playing in any other format. Even a regular bounty format, you shouldn't really consider anything with the king six other than folding. But because that bounty is so large and because there's a reasonable chance that the player in the hijack doesn't really have a hand to uh, continue with after his raise got three bets shoved on, uh, there's a reasonable likelihood that I can get heads up against that tough player and have a shot at that $3,000 bounty. So that's what this game is really about. It's finding spots when we want to get in there and try to go for the bounties. So is this one of those spots? That bounty is worth a lot of real money. But is King 6 worthwhile? Well, suppose we can manage to get heads up all in versus that player's shove. What will the chance be that we w might actually win that bounty? That's the key question. And many of you might feel like King 6 is hopeless. But I'm here to tell you, you've got over 40% equity against Ace-Queen, Ace-Jack, Ace-10, Ace-5 suited, Ace-4 suited. You're doing great against Ace-Tray suited. You're doing a, you know, almost 50% against Pocket 5s, Pocket 4s, Pocket Trays. You are 30% against Pocket Queens, Pocket Jacks, Pocket 10s. And I know many of you know these numbers, but I'm sure some of you might not consider all of that because you're going to think, worst case scenario, what if I end up losing 11 blinds for no reason at all when he's got the top of his range, which would be pocket aces, pocket kings. And yeah, we're doing really, really poorly against those hands. Or if he has a dominating king, we only have 25% equity. That would be against a hand like ace-king or king-queen. I'm not sure that he would make this play with King Queen, I guess he's supposed to, but probably not King Jack. That's about where the cutoff is for his unpaired shoves. But I think that he's supposed to shove in this spot with any pair at all because he should have some fold equity against the opening bet. Probably not very much as that player has over a million in chips. And assuming that he knows how to play PKOs, He's going to put in the other 100000 and try to win that bounty. So, yeah, I think this is an unconventional spot. I think all things considered, I can absolutely fold my king six without too much regret. But, you know, I do tend to gamble a bit more in these PKO tournaments than my opponents do. And I believe that the theory behind the this style, or this format, I should say, uh, is as yet unsolved although they're getting closer, I think it may actually be a call or possibly even a four-bet isolate situation, especially when I have the type of stack that I have. I can afford to gamble a little bit and go for it. But is 
King 6 good enough? That continues to be the main question. And again, in a regular tournament, of course, King 6 is an insta no-brainer fold. But because of this big bounty, it becomes a bit more compelling. Are you compelled? Do you want to get involved with King 6? And if not, tweet me at Clayton Comic and let me know your opinion. What is the worst hand that you would put into your calling or four bet isolation range? For me, King 6 is perfectly good. <laughs> and I did go for the four bet. So uh, the villain had shoved for 125k and I three bet to 310k and to my surprise the big blind called now this again is the player with over 3 million in chips so his call doesn't necessarily signify a very strong hand because he also sees that extra large size bounty just as clearly as I do uh, so he just flat calls. I probably would normally put him on a hand like king-queen or maybe a small to medium pair. Uh, and the original razor folds. It's a little too hot in here for him. And now he has to start thinking about preserving his million chip stack, which is, again, right around the average size. So let's see what happens on the flop. We're sitting here with the king of hearts and six of spades and we're already in for 310,000 of our 1.7 million and the flop comes nine nine tray uh, we still have 1.4 million behind and the big blind who is also still active in the hand has about 2.7 million remaining in his stack so first question what to do on the nine nine tray flop as the pre-flop for better uh, I decide that I did not want to bet this flop normally when I four bet I continuation bet but given that my opponent in this hand has such a big stack and he's so loose and so aggressive and so unlikely to fold any type of hand with any type of equity uh, we did not want him to get involved that was the point of the four bet in the first place it didn't work and at that moment i decided to shut it down and not continue to lose more chips with king six especially on this utter whiff now for me that's what i call progress there's eight hundred twenty thousand in the middle i could have stuck in a little c bet to something and see if i can get rid of him i just decide this is not a player that i want to bluff i don't think i can ever get him to fold any type of equity so I decided to give up on the hand and I checked and then my opponent in the big blind checked behind so now we might want to start thinking about trying to isolate the original all-in three better possibly blowing uh, the big blind off of a hand like King Queen King Jack you know hands that we would love to get rid of because they have us dominated um, however the turn card is the seven of spades so the board is now nine nine tray seven and again i just don't really know what i can get him to fold maybe he would fold king queen or king jack but yeah i kind of block those hands with my king six so i'm really feeling like there's just not much that i'm going to be able to accomplish with a bet 
So again, I remain disciplined and I check once more on the turn. And this time, the big blind, who uh, again is a very aggressive player and someone that I was hoping to eject from contention for this bounty with my pre-flop four bet that didn't work. Uh, he can't help himself now. He has to bet now that I've checked it twice. He puts in 600,000 tournament units into the 820,000 pot and I just have to fold king six. I mean, we're not going to put in another half of our stack at this point just trying to hit a king or a six that might not even be good in order to win this $3,000 bounty. So yeah, you got rid of me and uh, that was it for me. The uh, hands that I ended up being up against were pocket fives from the original all-in three better. So look, that would have been great to be able to get all-in in a coin flip scenario, heads up versus him, and just have no more chips go in, just 50-50, and see if we can beat pocket fives with king six. So as the cards lay, I was very happy uh, with the action that I had put in before the flop and just trying to give myself a, a shot at this exact type of coin flip. So yeah, that would have been one of the best hands for me to be up against with king six. But unfortunately, my four bet could not shake the loose big blind who actually called all those chips with pocket trays. And then if you recall, the flop was nine, nine tray. So he had me drawing basically dead right there on the flop. And he outflopped the pocket fives of the best player at the table and went on to win the hand. I thought that was a really interesting spot. Again, I'm not stupid, guys. I know that normally king six is unplayable to a raise and a re-raise, but I feel like in this scenario, this might be a good example of a huge difference between the PKO format and other standard multi-table tournament formats. Would you have even considered getting involved and trying to mix it up with King Six? And remember, I, I know survival is important, of course, in tournament poker, but let's not forget the fact that the bounties in this tournament are half the prize pool. Did I take it too far? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Clayton Comic. Now, before we get to our next hand, I want to thank you guys for all the support that you gave us during that time when we were in the process of trying to find a sponsor for this podcast. Many of you sent me supportive messages. I hope that we can keep the podcast going. Uh, it's my favorite podcast, and I read and respond to as many of those messages as I possibly can. I want to let you guys know that one thing you can do for free that really helps us out and lets our sponsor, ACR, know that you guys do value this podcast is if we can show them that since they came on as a sponsor, the numbers continue to increase. So what you can do for us to help that happen, subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Click the subscribe button. That really shows that you're invested in this, that you want to talk poker with me each and every Friday, and that you are uh, going to be a faithful listener for some time to come. And another thing that does is it makes our subscriber numbers go up, which they can look at. And also, very importantly, our first day, our day of release downloads 
go through the roof when a lot of you subscribe. So I don't care if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever else you might be hearing this. Just please help us out. It doesn't cost you a dime. Press the follow button, the subscribe button, whatever your podcatcher wants you to press. I beseech you, do that so that we can show ACR you did the right thing by investing in the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. All right, enough about that. Let's continue on in this Venom PKO. So this hand's a little while later. The blinds are now 6,500 and 13,000 with a 1,950 ante because why not? Uh, I thought this hand had some interesting decision points in it. Uh, We're at a seven-handed table and there's one fold and then the player in second position, which at a seven-handed table is the low jack, decides to raise it for the minimum amount and the action folds all the way back to hero in the big blind holding the ace of spades jack of spades so ace jack suited uh so i have a decision here whether to call or three bet so let's talk about the circumstances our stack is at 1.6 million so despite losing the 300 ish that we lost in the uh, last hand we just talked about. We recovered some of those chips back and are now at 1.6 when the average stack is just over 1 million. The uh, razor in this hand, the early position or low jack position, has 1.2 million in his stack. And again, the big blind is 13K. So, He's right around 100 big blinds. Uh, He has been aggressive. This is the same table where we were playing in the previous hand we discussed. Uh, The only major difference is the best player is now gone because we busted him, remember, when the threes outflopped his fives. And that player, who is on my immediate left but not involved in this hand, he's the one who folded under the gun, now has almost 4 million in chips So uh, he's one of the tournament chip leaders. I'm third in chips at my table with 1.6. And there are seven players at this table. So this player opens off 1.2 million for the minimum. And he has been a pretty loose, aggressive pre-flop, but not that many C-bets type of player. So he like tries to play like a really strong, aggressive pre-flop game, but then is a little bit more cautious after the flop, which isn't a bad strategy in tournaments. A lot of players fold too often before the flop in tournaments. So if you encounter any resistance at that point, you could actually play a fit or fold type of style and do, I mean, I don't think you'd be a winning tournament player, but you'd do okay if that were your basic strategy going in, provided that you didn't play too many hands before the flop from too many positions. In this case, He's early. He's in second position, but it's a shorthanded table. Uh, So what to do with the ace-jack suited? This spot is pretty close. I'm actually uh, pretty torn between three betting and calling. And I think that it's okay with these relatively deep stacks to just go ahead and do a mix. You know, maybe 30-70, something like 30% calls, 70% three bets. 
uh, I would three bet even more often with an offsuit ace jack just because it plays not as well from out of position after the flop. You know, in other words, I won't be able to check raise as often because I won't flop as many flush draws with two unsuited cards. Yeah, but I don't really want to lose him when he's opening too light with, say, uh, a hand like ace nine, which this player probably would open from that position. I really don't want to lose him by three betting and then losing out on all the potential earnings from flopping an ace and having him dominated. So it's pretty close. But yeah, I, in this case, I decided to call. But sometimes uh, in this situation, I will be three betting with the ace jack suited. So here we just call and we're going to see a flop from the big blind versus the low jack. And the flop's a good one. It comes jack of clubs, nine of diamonds, and five of clubs. So jack, nine, five with two clubs. And then, as I always will in this spot, I check it on over to the original Razor, who also checks. So we need to talk about what that could mean. I don't think that this player, again, his playing style, pretty consistent with this hand, has been aggressive pre-flop and then slowing down on the flop. So I don't expect him to have a big pair a lot. I don't expect him to have two pair with a hand like jack nine a lot. I don't expect him to have a draw a lot. I think those are the hands that this player bets. But when he has a pair below top pair or when he has a middle pair, something like that, I expect him to be checking because that's what I've observed from playing against him. And now guys, if you don't mix up your play, when you're involved in tournament situations versus players like me, who pay an inordinate amount of attention to your each and every move, you may end up being pretty easy to beat. So I'm thinking that once he checks behind on the flop, my ace-jack is good almost all the time. The only hand that I think he might sometimes check behind is a set of jacks. So that means, unless this is that rare spot when he's got the two red jacks, the last two jacks, then I'm definitely good. Try not to be this readable, guys. You don't want to be this readable. You don't want players who pay attention to be able to figure you out this easily. So all of his checkbacks, except for one, are going to be unpaired hands like ace-king, ace-queen, or pairs below jacks like pocket tens or pocket sixes. So that's a pretty easy thing to play against when I'm that sure about what his range is. And I've observed him for several hours now and I've noticed these patterns. You have to deviate from your patterns unless you want players like me to be able to outplay you with relative ease. He checks behind. There's 72K in the middle and the turn comes the queen of hearts. Now, some of you might say, darn it, that is not a good card. It is a bad card, but it's not as bad as you might think. I believe this opponent would have bet the flop quite a bit with a draw. So if he had queen 10, which again is open-ended on the jack 9-5 with two clubs flop, I believe that this opponent would have bet that hand as a, as a C-bet with the open-ender. Uh, same for 10-8 right, which now got there and made a straight. 
Um, the only question is, would he have bet King 10, which now made the nuts on this turn card? And that I'm not sure. I don't know if he's betting all of his gut shots on the flop, but I'm sure he would at least some of the time because that is the prevailing strategy in the modern game. But I'm not really sure. This player doesn't seem to be very aggressive post-flop, so perhaps he would check behind part of the time or maybe even all of the time with King-10. So we have to fear King-10 and we have to fear Ace-Queen. We have to fear King-Queen if this opponent is the type that would not bet two overs and a gut shot on the flop. I'm not too worried about King-Queen. I do think that hand is strong enough for him to bet and that he would have put that into his C-betting range versus just one caller in the big blind, even if he has the idea that I'm pretty good. Right, He needs to see bet at least some of the time. Everybody knows that. And I think King-Queen, especially when he has a club, is a really good hand to have in his C-betting range. But to be clear, I'm, that is not a welcome card. I was not rooting for the Queen of Hearts on the turn. I just don't think it's as bad as it may look at first glance. So what to do with second pair, my ace-jack here? Uh, we're not going to make a flush. There are no spades on the board. What to do? Well, I think you can bet, you can bet, especially given the read that he's not likely to have a queen unless it's ace queen, which we partially block with our ace of spades. So yeah, I think betting is totally fine here. You can end up getting value from hands like pocket tens or perhaps ace ten, which now have open enders. Yeah, it, it's fine to go ahead and bet the pair of jacks. But I decided to check again. I'm happy with the size of this pot, given the relative strength of our hand, and I'm not too concerned about giving away another free card in this situation, which, again, is partly due to the fact that I think he would have bet most of his draws on the flop at least most of the time. So I'm not that concerned. Maybe he did pick up a draw uh, if he has a 10 or whatever, but... I'm not especially concerned about that and decide to check, planning to call a good size bet here on the turn. And opponent decides to check behind. All right, so what does that tell us? Now he's had two shots at a C bet and he didn't take either one of them. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like players who pick up a draw on the turn when they have a hand like pocket tens or ace ten. I think those players are generally betting that card that gives them the draw, especially when I have shown so much weakness by checking twice. All I've done in this hand is call before the flop and now check to you twice, and you still don't bet. So I think we can pretty much rule out uh, a club draw, which I, I'm almost certain he would have bet on the flop. But now that he also didn't bet it on the turn, I just I don't think he ever has a club draw in this spot. I think that he has probably a small pair that he's trying to get to showdown with. Maybe a hand like pocket eights, pocket sevens, pocket sixes. Uh, perhaps a hand like ace deuce of hearts that he's just kind of giving up and hopes uh, that that hand will end up being good at a showdown if we check it all the way through. Although it's hard to think of what hand I could have that can't beat ace deuce of hearts on this board. Um, but yeah, I'm not too concerned about him having a 10, and I'm really not concerned about him having clubs, which is important because the river is actually the eight of clubs. 
So our final board is Jack, nine, five, queen, eight, with three clubs. So the straight got there and the flush got there. And what the heck am I supposed to do if I check again and he bombs the river? I don't know. I don't know. That would really put me in a tough spot. I would probably go with my read and make the call because once I have logic figured out and I have a strategy against a certain opponent, it takes a lot of compelling evidence for me to ever go against that strategy. And, you know, at this level, your opponents will see such an ugly river scare card as a bluffing opportunity. And they need to bluff that card some of the time because they want a value bet when they actually make a hand with that card. So if he bets big, I'm going to be more worried about pocket eights than I will be about a straight or a flush, oddly enough. Or maybe a hand like six, seven (laughs) that made the lowest possible straight on this board. Uh, I would be more concerned about that than I will about him actually having made a straight with a 10 or a flush. Because again, he had two shots to bet his flush draw and he passed it up twice. So yeah, I mean, this is not an exact science and sometimes players will surprise you with what they end up turning over. But I have a pretty strong read on this guy and I'm just going to go with it. So I check planning to call a pretty large bet if he decides to make one on the river and my opponent makes my life easy by checking behind with pocket sevens. So yeah, that pretty much aligns with all of the logic that I had going through the hand. Uh, It's pretty consistent with the way he had played other pots in this tournament. A lot of lessons here, a lot of takeaways He obviously didn't want to tangle with me, maybe because I have more chips than he does, or he just wants to try to preserve his stack, and he basically played fit or fold. It was a pretty ugly board for pocket sevens. Yeah, it would be interesting if the river comes in offsuit 10, because ace-king is going to be such a big part of his range. Would he have bluffed a 10 on the river? I don't think I could have been able to call if the 10 came at the end, because his play really looks like ace-king should be a pretty big part of his range for just checking back the whole way through. So yeah, of course, this ends up being, you know, a pretty small pot compared with the pots we normally talk about. But I think that the thought process behind it is really worth going into and discussing. I had a strategy, I had a read, and I had a plan. My opponent really never put me to the test in this hand, but it's still a valuable exercise to have a plan for what to do on each street. Let me know what you guys think about both of these hands, um, maybe about the nipple controversy (laughs) at HCL, and definitely check out the Winter OSS online super series on ACR with $24 million in guaranteed prizes between now and December 20th. Also be sure to join the TPE Discord where we're having a lively discussion about the podcast, about different strategy hands, about possibly trying to do a meetup in Las Vegas, and of course, plenty of giveaways courtesy of our sponsor. So with special thanks to our sponsor, America's Card Room, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, hoping to see some of you in Vegas, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays.
Hold up, let up, hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Can't believe it's fun when you're with me. Russian roulette is not the same. 